What a good worship set, man. It's the presence of the Lord. Let's pray over the Word of God. Let me know when everything's good to go. All right. Father, we thank you, Lord, for tonight so much as everybody's agreeing with me. We pray for the Word of the Lord. You know, we love the, the presence of God. We love the ministry of the Holy Spirit and all that. But, man, we love the Word, and we need the Word. The Word is our anchor. So, Lord, as we pray tonight, and everybody's agreeing with me over the Word of the Lord going out, I pray, Lord, that you would anoint me and speak through me. And, Lord, everything will be spoken that's supposed to be spoken. This will be, as the Jesus taught the parable of the seed and the sower, this will be as living seeds of truth that are going out in the good fertile soil of people's lives around the world that are prepared by the Holy Spirit. And we ask you, Lord, that your precious Holy Spirit be moving upon people and prepare their hearts and their minds and their lives to, to be good fertile soil and this seed to be planted where it's supposed to be and just watered by the, the, the showers of the Holy Spirit's rain on that seed. And Lord, I pray that it will grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And we ask you, Lord, by your precious Holy Spirit also to captivate everyone that we can be focused and give you our best ear, our full attention, that we'd have anointed eyes and ears, eyes and ears of the Spirit, and that um, just good fertile soil of hearts and minds. And I pray that the word as it goes out, will be there'll be the washing of the water of the word, that there'll be like a light of truth shining and dispel all the darkness, all the lies, all the deception of the enemy. And Lord, let it be as a mighty hammer that's going to break down every stronghold and a sword that cuts through and penetrates. So we love your word and let the Holy Spirit, it's just like the winds of the Lord, just blowing this everywhere it's supposed to go and your angels to watch over. And Lord, we take authority and we bind up anything of the enemy that would try to hinder the word of God. As Jesus said that the birds of the air try to steal the seed. And he said it was the enemy. And so, Lord, we bind the enemy now in the name of Jesus. He's not going to be able to hinder the word of God nor hinder the seed going out where it's supposed to. We bind that now in Jesus' name. And, Lord, we thank you. We stand on the promise that your word will not return void. It will go out and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. And we bless you and thank you for it now in Jesus' mighty name. All right, so a couple quick things. Um, I'm in the middle of this series called Mikdash. In Hebrew, Mikdash just means sanctuary. And the reason God laid this on my heart, I believe I'm going to cover a lot of ground in this. Okay, I'm going to go um, quite a bit this year on this series. But the reason God laid this on my heart is because, not saying this in any way from a critical perspective, because that's not in my heart at all. But you know how used to, years ago, when we came to God's house, it was called God's house. And the area where we worship was called the sanctuary and it was just about worshiping the lord it was about him and somewhere along the lines in the last decade or so it's um it's taken on a different appearance the sanctuary is now called an auditorium and there's just a lot of entertainment and a lot of other things and um you know, years ago, the sanctuary where we worship was considered hallowed, and you would be really careful what was going on there. You knew that God's presence was there, and when you came in there, it was a place of worship and prayer, and there was a reverence. And now it seems like that a lot of that's been lost in a lot of places. And so God laid on my heart to deal with this issue. So this is actually part six. And um, just kind of going through this, I'll recap a little bit. But Exodus 25, verse 8, 
Have them make me a sanctuary. And that's that word in Hebrew, mikdash. Have them make a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. Uh, the word dwell um, has to do with shekhan. And that's where we get the word shekinah. Many have wondered about the shekinah. Um, that's the abiding, the dwelling presence of God. So God said to build him a place, a mikdash, a sanctuary, where he could place his glory, his presence. And when you looked at the tabernacle of Moses, the tabernacle, they constructed that the way God told them to do it. But after they were done and Moses anointed it, the glory of the Lord came, and the glory of the Lord did not depart. See, I think that, you know, think about this for a minute. That's Old Testament. How much more so should that be the case now? Are you all with me in that? How much more so should we have an abiding presence of God in our midst now that we have the blood of Jesus and we have um, the fullness of the covenant? What was in the tabernacle of Moses was just a type and shadow, and they had the glory. It reminds me of, uh, I believe, Second Corinthians uh, chapter 3, where Moses was talking about how the law came with glory. You know, if, they, if the glory was in the law, how much more so should it be today? But anyway, Moses had built this sanctuary, and the glory of God came and dwelt there in a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, and it was a tangible physical presence. And it always really inspired me, reading about the stories at Azusa Street, of how this great revival, William Seymour, you know, it was around 1905 in Los Angeles, that there was such a move of God that took place on Bonnie Bray Street. They moved to Azusa Street, and people came from all over the world. But the glory of God was so strong in that place. It, it was the birthplace of Pentecost today, nowadays. Uh, that was something Satan had stolen. It's stolen tongues. It's stolen the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And God was using this great revival to restore back Book of Acts Christianity. But it was so amazing to read the historical accounts because one of the things that stuck out to me was there was more than one time where people literally saw a fire and a smoke on that building and they called the fire department. They really thought it was on fire. The fire department got out there just to find out it was a spiritual phenomenon. And that was the glory of God manifest in their presence. Is that not amazing? And so anyway, my point is, is that God put this in the Bible. And think about it. God initiated this. He told Moses, he said, you have them build me a sanctuary that I can dwell among them. So it wasn't that Moses and the children of Israel were begging God, God, would you please let us build you something that you can come dwell among us. God actually desires to dwell among us. God initiated this. And that's the, I believe, God in creation when he created Adam and Eve, his heart was to have a family. And the Bible says he would come down and walk among, among them in the cool of the day. And that was God's heart to dwell with man. And sin, of course, separates us. But that's where this series is coming from. Now, the last couple sermons I did, I just want to say this and then move off of it. But we had a Pentecost conference. And, of course, I, I thought Lyndall Cooley just did a fantastic job. I enjoyed having him so much. I thought Benny Baker did a phenomenal job as well. But God laid on my heart a couple sermons connected to Pentecost about restoration. And the Bible says in Acts 3.21, heaven must receive him, talking about Jesus, until the time uh, for God to restore everything as he promised through uh, the holy prophets. And so heaven must receive him until the restoration of all things. 
And I hope that people realize that God is wanting to restore everything that the devil has stolen. Y'all hearing that? And this is important because this is a theme of my wife and I. I believe God wants to restore everything the devil's stolen from individuals, but he's wanting to restore it back to the church. And that's what really grieves me because a long time ago, I pulled back from, from religion and, and denominational differences and, and pet doctrines and all that. I began to really just believe the Bible. I really did. I just read it and believed it. And I began to really go after God about that. And it's grieved me because there was so much in the Bible. Jesus planted this church. And for 300 years, it was this great move of God. And Satan came in and stole so much from the church. And you look through the dark ages that even the gospel of Jesus Christ had been stolen. And God had to restore that in 1517. But God has been in a process of restoration ever since. And before Jesus comes, the Bible says there's going to be a restoration of all things. You understand that that means that the things you read in the Bible, like Peter's shadow healing the sick, we lay hands on the sick and they recover. Uh, We drive out demons, the power of God, you know, the gifts of the Spirit. Everything that the devil has stolen, all of it is going to be restored back to the church before Jesus comes. Isn't that awesome? And so, not only that, but I believe on an individual basis, we need to take very serious that God has a heart to restore. The Bible says in Joel, he said, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. How many feel that there's years in your past where you were caught up in something, and it was like the devil stole things from you in life, stole years. God is going to redeem time, and he's going to restore those years. And I'm going to tell you something, there's people... That, that the Bible promises in Proverbs, he said, when a thief is caught, now who's the thief? Jesus said the devil has come to steal, kill and destroy, to steal. The devil's the thief. When a thief is caught, he must restore sevenfold, though it cost him the wealth of his house. We need to understand God's heart for restoration, that he is a just God. If you had somebody that stole from you and you went before an earthly judge, that judge would rule in your favor and would you know it would be a judgment that you would be restored back what had been stolen am i telling the truth so if god if if an earthly judge would do that and understand justice how much more so will our heavenly father who is a true judge a just judge how much more so is he going to vindicate his people and i'm going to tell you there's people that have had things stolen from them you've had relationships that have been stolen from you you've had finances that have been stolen you've had areas of your health And there's different things. And I want you to believe God with me that we're going to see a great restoration in the days to come. And many have already experienced that, even uh, at least to a degree, even with Karen with this. This is a restoration. You have no idea how much that is true. But many have experienced already in part restoration beginning in their lives. And I believe, I wouldn't say something like this. Y'all know me. And y'all know that I'm very careful that if I say I heard from God about something, I heard from God. You can write it down. But if I, if I tell you, I just, you know, it's just maybe an impression or something. But people understand that I take that very seriously. And I believe that God has shown me that there is something going on right now um, in the way of like a judgment, but it's a good thing. God has seen in this nation um, things uh, that have not been right. And he has seen among his people things that have not been right. And I just feel like a judgment in, in favor of the righteous. Something, something is stirring. And don't be surprised in the days to come 
if there's not some serious vindication. And so anyway, I taught on that for two sermons. I can't dwell on it. But I promise you there's a, there's a principle in Hosea two days and then the third day. Hosea said um, on the second day I'll revive and on the third day I'll restore. A day is as a thousand years. So just remember this principle when you read Jesus' parables. Because you see even with the, the good Samaritan, he was, he was being uh, ministered to for two days. But on the third day, um, he was coming back. See what I'm saying? There's a two-day, then a third-day principle. Jesus has been gone for two days, the 2,000 years, but he's about to come. And I believe his coming is very near. But the point is that we're living at this last part of this church age, and God, before Jesus comes, there is going to be a major move of restoration. And I'm saying that because I want people to really press into God. All right. So now let me kind of pick up where I've left off with this Mikdash series. This is part six, and I'm dealing in this sermon with building God a dwelling place. And what I want to talk about, I've been dealing with the travels of David, the life of David, and how, man, I've just begun this, but there's so much. That's why I'm saying I'm going to deal with this series throughout this year because I don't even know how long this is going to go. But I really feel the Lord wants me to cover a lot, of, a lot of ground with this. But one of the things with David that really stuck out to me, I felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to share, was the battle that he had when he started coming to power. So let me deal with this where it talks about, I put here civil war, because there was a war that began between the house of Saul and the house of David, which I'm going to deal with here in a moment. Uh, here's an interesting scripture, because we know that Jesus has come to give us life and life abundant. We know that Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And we know that Jesus has such a heart. Um, think about this. The Bible says about Jesus that he is so, he's so loving. The Bible reveals that he has come to bind up and heal the brokenhearted. Think about that. Jesus so loves the brokenhearted. And he has such a heart for people. Jesus is the one that will go to people that even though others are ready to despise him, you remember the story about the woman caught in adultery, and under the law of Moses, she really was to be stoned. But Jesus knelt down and wrote everybody's sins on the ground, and they all dropped their rocks and left, and uh, he forgave her. And that's just Jesus, isn't it? You know, he's, but anyway, here's, here's something, though, that's an interesting aspect, because you have to understand Jesus is uh, the lamb, but he's also the lion. And here's the full... <laughs> Here's the full picture. Because this same Jesus that will kneel down and tell a woman your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more, is also the same Jesus that will tie together a whip and start chasing some money changers out of the house of God, right? And they're tripping over the coins and, and you see doves flying everywhere and, yeah, turning, turning over tables. So here's something about the Lord. Matthew 10:34. He said, Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me and he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He, has, he who has found his life will lose it and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. So we read this, and it sounds so out of character until you understand it. I'm going to tell you that I understand this scripture very well 
even though there's been a great restoration, there was a time, it's to give you an example of this being fulfilled, there was a time in my wife's life when she first accepted Christ as her Savior, and she was very persecuted by her family, and she had to geographically relocate here and just leave it all behind. Now, thank God, through a lot of prayer, that some of her family have come to know Jesus and uh, are really open to the gospel. And um, God is really doing doing a work there for real. But she did have this scripture fulfilled. All of a sudden, when she accepted Jesus as her Savior, now members of her own household were now enemies. You see what I'm saying? And you have to decide, am I going to turn my back on Jesus to make them happy, or or am I going to go with Jesus? And Jesus said that if you are not willing to take up your cross and follow me, okay, So we have to be willing that even though our family may persecute us, we have to be willing to go with the Lord no matter what. Amen? All right. And so I said that to kind of lead up to this scripture in 2 Samuel 3.1. It says, Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. David steadily grew stronger, but the house of Saul grew weaker continually. Now, this is a really interesting scripture because I want you to, I'm going to paint a picture here that's very important. David, oh, well, let's go back in time. We know the story about Saul. I've dealt with this enough to where I'm not going to belabor the point. But Saul was a head taller. He was handsome. He was what man would have picked. He was the best that Israel had to offer. He was definitely the guy, like, you know, put it in modern terminology, if you had everybody up against the brick wall and you're picking people for your baseball team or your football team, Saul would have been first picked and David would have not been picked. David was the one that people wouldn't have picked, but yet God picked him. Why? Because the Bible says God looks at the heart. Now Saul, even though he was what Israel's best, he was handsome, athletic, he was everything that a king, you know, you would think that a king should be. I'm sure he's very intelligent. But yet Saul had areas in his life that were rebellious and he was not fully right with God. And ultimately, he ended up having a demonic mixture in his life, which I might talk a little bit about, but if I don't, I'll cover it in another sermon. David was just out there in the fields. I mean, he just loved God. And God had him. And it's interesting how, if you'll look back early on in your life, you'll find some things if you'll let the Lord show you. Like David, for example, was called to be a shepherd of God's people. And while he was young, he had the job that nobody else wanted. His dad stuck him out there with some sheep. You see what I'm saying? But it was interesting that that was very connected to David's destiny in God. And he was learning about being a shepherd from being out there with those sheep and having to protect those sheep from the lion and the bear. And learning how sheep can be. And so David was out there. He just loved God. He's strumming the harp. He's worshiping God. And God saw something in David that he knew that he had a, he had a heart for God. And Saul had rebelled. Saul had, uh, you know, gone his own way. And the Lord rejected Saul. And basically told Saul flat out, I have rejected your kingship. I have taken the kingdom from you i've given it to another who has a heart for me but even though god was so clear about that when david became anointed the bible says about david 
when he was called in to be with Samuel, Samuel took a horn of oil and poured it over David. You can picture that oil running down David's hair, you know, down onto his garments. And he was anointed. And the Bible says about David that the Spirit of God came upon him in power from that day forward. And David, we know by the anointing of God on his life, he had went to run an errand for his father. And he ended up at the battle lines between Israel and the Philistines. And all these men were there and they were kind of cowering down. And David's looking at this. And he's seeing that his brothers and all these mighty men, and these, these are warriors. These are Israel's best warriors on the front lines. You know that they, they were strong. They were manly men. They, they took a lot to probably scare them. But yet they were kind of cowered down there. And David's looking at this and he's saying, what's the problem? And his brothers, you know, typical, said, you know, why aren't you out there with your few little sheep, little boy? What are you doing out here, you know? But David, the Spirit of God was upon David. And something in him began to stir up and it, he got angry at the devil. He got angry seeing God's people like this and seeing that giant there blaspheming the name of God. And the Spirit of God was upon him and he became angry. And he, anyway, to make, you know the story. He went out and killed the giant, cut his head off. And all of a sudden now people are singing about David. Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands, which of course David killed one giant. But yet, you know, the song goes on. But anyway, and so they're singing about David. Saul becomes very jealous and Saul begins to persecute David. But even after Saul's death, David begins to move forward to take the kingdom like he's supposed to, that God had made it very clear. But isn't it interesting that even though Saul's whole family knew that God had rejected Saul from being king, and everybody knew that Samuel had already anointed David, that Saul's family still continually resisted this. They fought David. They were not going to let him have the throne. They did everything they could to resist the will of God and the purposes of God. Now, what's interesting in this to me, I was reading about this. Keep in mind, Jesus said that I've come to bring a sword. And even though Jesus said I've come to bring a sword and, and that sometimes there's going to be these issues like this. I was reading in John chapter 7, and if you want to go back and read this on your own, but it was, I found it interesting that Jesus had come to the feast. And while he was there at the feast, that people um, were talking about Jesus and that some were divided. Some said, well, you know, he is the Messiah. Others said he's not the Messiah. And there was this thing back and forth among the people, but yet the religious crowd was so against Jesus. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were determined that Jesus was not the Messiah and that they were going to do everything they could to stop what he was doing. Are you seeing where I'm going with this? The people were kind of, you know, indecisive. They weren't really sure. By and large, most of the people, whenever Jesus went somewhere and would minister, they would see so many healings and so many miracles and so many deliverances, and they themselves experienced things that Jesus had a lot of people throughout Israel that believed in him. But it was the religious Pharisees, the leaders, the religious leaders that were so opposed to Jesus' ministry. They were going to do everything they could. And you think about it, when Jesus was standing there, and here's Barabbas on the right, and here's Jesus who had been, you know, the cat of nine tails, he, his body, he was losing so much blood, and, and there he was. And 
the people were not really opposed to Jesus until the religious leaders went through the crowd and were telling them, you need to say, let Barabbas go. You need to say, crucify that, that guy that he claims to be the Christ. And so again, you see this division. Now, here's where I'm going with all of this to kind of bring it home. The way God shows his stamp has to do with the anointing. God had anointed David for kingship. Jesus was obviously the anointed one. And it's interesting because if you do a study on this, the word antichrist can mean instead of, but anti-against, but Christ means the anointed. An antichrist spirit is an anti-anointing spirit. It's going to be opposed to the anointing. And so many times, whenever God begins to move, and I'm trying to prepare you guys because there's two things in this sermon I want to deal with, and both of them pertain to River of Life. And I hope that you remember this sermon down the road. When God begins to do something significant in the days to come, every time there has been a great revival, a great move of God, by and large, the people, some of them will really embrace the move of God. Others will wonder. But it, it never seems to fail that many religious leaders, religious Pharisees, will be so against that move of God. They'll preach against it from their pulpit. They'll say it's demonic. And they'll do everything they can to, to resist what God is doing. Even though God was with David and everybody knew that, Saul's family still was so opposed to him coming to power. They fought him tooth and nail. Jesus, obviously the Messiah, but the religious leaders fought it. I mean fought it, turned the people against him. People that I would imagine that had either been healed or seen healings and deliverances and heard firsthand testimonies now or against Jesus because the religious leaders. I'm just telling you that in every major move of God that I've read about in history and that I've seen, there have been those that are religious that will fight that thing tooth and nail, and it's an antichrist spirit. They don't realize it, but they have that spirit about them. It's a religious spirit. So without getting sidetracked on this, a religious spirit can also be called an antichrist spirit because it's a counterfeit thing. It makes people get comfortable with dead religion as long as you deny the power thereof. They're okay with the husk of religion, but don't give anybody life, power. And in the days to come, River of Life, I hope you hear this. Don't be surprised when God starts pouring out His Spirit in a way that is going to surprise you even though you're expecting it. And there's going to be a lot going on. Don't be surprised when the devil starts trying to raise up these, these critics out there and these religious people that will do everything they can to oppose it. Because you have to understand, you know, here as, as of late, we've heard things about the establishment. But I'm not really talking about politics right now out in the world. I'm talking about politics in the church. And I'm going to tell you something. There's an establishment. There's people, and I love them, and I'm not against them, but it's their paycheck. I hope you hear what I'm saying. It's their retirement. It's their security blanket. It is, it is a structure that is man-made. It's political. And they're comfortable with that. They got everything just the way they want it. 
and, and they're living at ease in that. And all of a sudden, God begins to pour out his spirit, and it's like a David coming up out of the fields and taking the head off of Goliath, and all of a sudden, their boat starts getting rocked. All of a sudden, it's like the testimonies start coming in about Lazarus raised from the dead and all these other healings and miracles, and the Pharisees are saying, wait a second, the people are going after this guy. We've got to do something to turn them against him. We've got to say he has a demon. We've got to call him a false prophet and a false teacher and a deceiver. We've got to trap him in his words. We've got to do everything we can to what oppose. Don't be surprised when God starts pouring out his spirit that there's not going to be some kind of a spiritual civil war. Those that are caught up in the establishment of religion, the way that they want it to be, all of a sudden something outside of their box, outside of their comfort zone, something that that is a threat to them, that now they're going to do everything they can to try to hinder and stop that. But yet, this is what will happen. The house of David will continue to steadily grow stronger, and the house of Saul will continually grow weaker. Why? Because of the anointing. The anointing will make a way. And that's the way God has always stamped his approval, has been on his anointing. That's the way that we know that it, that doesn't mean that we need to neglect character. I'm not saying that. But God anoints men and women, and that anointing is what God is going to use them to do. And this Jesus being called the Christ, Christ means the anointed one. Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil. The early church, book of Acts, he told them, do not leave Jerusalem. Stay there until what you're clothed with power from on high. So Jesus was saying, don't try to go out and do what you, uh, you know, the ministry and the things you've seen me do until you're anointed like I was. There has to be an anointing to be able to do what God has called us to do. And when the anointing comes, that is when demons are going to flee. That is when sickness is going to flee. That is when lives are going to be changed. And I'm going to tell you, the anointing makes all the difference in the world. I remember times years ago, we would do a lot of street witnessing and all that. But, you know, even though we were doing that and we were trying to minister to people, it was whenever the anointing came that that anointing caused the ministry to be fruitful like never before i remember seeing people that now because of the anointing people began to be gripped with the fear of god there was a conviction their eyes would tear up and they would they would be concerned about heaven and hell life and death and the reality of it but it was the spirit of god it was the anointing that was doing that it was something that man couldn't do and all of a sudden the testimonies begin to start coming in more and more healings and and all of a sudden people you know demons manifesting and leaving people and it was it was amazing as the anointing came that the very things that jesus did in his ministry and what he saw in his ministry now i started seeing these things happen and so has everybody else that's picked up an anointing it it goes with the anointing where the anointing is demons will manifest where the anointing is demons will flee where the anointing is sickness will die and the power of that thing be broken So the first thing I want to say is that there's coming a great move of the Holy Spirit. And you need to be ready for the civil war that goes with that. 
You be ready for those that are not going to be for it. It's a threat to them. It's a threat to their religious system. I'm not against any anybody. I'm not against any denomination or anything like that at all. But when true spiritual authority comes, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, which Christ has ordained, it's biblical. When that comes, the man-made structures are threatened by it. And they begin to persecute it. When revival comes and all of a sudden Book of Acts Christianity starts manifesting and you start seeing the things in the Bible, all of a sudden the religious system over here gets very nervous. God is about to do something new in this nation. God's about to do something new in River of Life. And just like David, you think, how in the world could a young man that even his own dad wouldn't have thought to bring him out of the field, and he was basically the youngest and, and a nobody, and he was out there in this field watching some sheep. How in the world could somebody like that end up being a king over a nation? How do you get from A to B like that? The anointing. The anointing made a way for David that could not have happened in the natural. There was no way. He could not have gone through Israel and, you know, vote for me. <laughs> he couldn't have made enough pamphlets, man. There's nothing he could have done to exalt himself. But the anointing took him from a backside of a field all the way to the throne in Jerusalem where he conquered the Jebusites, a stronghold that even Joshua and them couldn't take back in his day. It had been there from the days that they entered Canaan. That stronghold had been there. But the anointing on David's life caused him to take an impregnable stronghold and pull it down and make it not only a city for God, but it became the, the city of the great king. It became the city of David, you know. And so anyway, I'm just saying that it was the anointing. Number two, God is going to make a way financially. Where there seems to be no way, the anointing and the glory, both, the anointing and the glory, seem to also make a way for supernatural provision. So we dealt with the, the anointing and the power of God and all of that. Now must shift over to provision. But Proverbs 13.22, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. So just as the anointing made a way for David to get to the throne... And it seemed like there was absolutely no way that that could happen. Now, David had his enemies along the way. The house of Saul fought him tooth and nail. But he still ended up taking the throne in spite of it because of the anointing on his life. But also, there has to be a provision to meet the need. There just has to be. As I'm going to show you in the Bible. Now, this is the second thing I really want to deal with tonight. And I'm going to close with this. But there's a move of God that's coming to River of Life. And I hope you all understand that God is going to make a way that seems to be no way in the natural. He's going to make a way. It's going to be supernatural. And it's going to be by the anointing, but it's also going to be that God's going to bring supernatural provision. It will happen. And so I'm just showing you in the Bible that there's been times where God has done this. And it's about to happen here and I believe in other places as well. Now, don't you picture Abraham. Now, God had called Abram out of the earth, the Chaldees, and told him, I want you to go to this land. I love the life of Abraham. Abraham had to live by such faith. 
And I love in the book of Hebrews, it's one of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible. And it's talking about Abraham, that he left his father's house. And, and he went after God, and it said that he looked for a city whose maker and builder was God. Isn't that an awesome scripture? He lived by such faith that he was looking. And Jesus said, Abraham saw my day. Abraham had some kind of a walk with God to where whenever he had Isaac, and he was going to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah, Somehow Abraham saw Jesus' day because Jesus said he did. He saw it somehow. And Abraham was looking for that city. But as Abraham left out, all he had was what he acquired from his father's house. And whenever the Bible says about Abram that he became exceedingly wealthy. And you think, how is this possible? Because if you think about in the natural, here's a guy... Now, among his father's family, they had land there that they had cultivated that would have been perfect for the sheep and the livestock and whatever they had. They had water. They had irrigated fields, I'm sure. They had things there to where it would make sense that he, his um, flocks and the herds would increase, that his crops would do well. But God calls him to leave all that and to go in faith. And so Abram now is having to go on this journey through the desert toward Canaan. And this is not something that you would expect just randomly to plant crops and believe God for that harvest to come in and that your flocks and herds kind of being in adverse circumstances. Are you following what I'm saying? You don't know if you're going to have water the next day or not. You don't know if there's going to be grassy fields the next day or not. You know, they're, they're, they're having to live totally by faith. But yet the Bible says about Abram that, that he became exceedingly wealthy. It was the blessing of God on his life. How did it happen? Well, it was supernatural. But here's one thing that God's allowed in his life right here. Upon arrival, now Abraham went down to Egypt. You remember the story. And when he got to Egypt, he knew that his wife Sarah was really pretty. And he was worried because he knew that that Pharaoh there might, you know, want her for his bride. So he thought that Pharaoh would have him killed. And so he told her to say that she was his sister, which she was um, a half-sister. So he wasn't lying, but anyway, he just didn't divulge the whole truth. So he goes in there, and Pharaoh, sure enough, they see Sarah as being really pretty, and they take her to be a part of his harem. Now... The Bible says in Genesis twelve sixteen that Pharaoh treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired, look at this, sheep, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. In Genesis 13, verse 2, as Abram left, the Bible says that Abram became very rich in livestock, silver, and gold, and he went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. He went there because he had, vis he had had a visitation, so to speak, of the Lord there. It was interesting that these men of God understood something, that a place where God touched your life. And he wanted to go back to that place again and talk to the Lord there. This was a place he had built an altar formerly. And Abraham called on the name of the Lord. But did you see that? I've learned in life, this is kind of a, a very quick rabbit trail, but just remember this. I have had this happen now so many times that I think that it is the Lord. 
and I've had many times, and it could be anything from a car getting fixed to something to do with my house to you name it, where I just simply was getting something done, and they messed up. And I learned a long time ago to not get mad because this is what has happened over and over again. They just simply made some mistake somewhere. And then they come back to me and say, man, I am so sorry. We're going to give it to you for free. Or we're going to give you this major discount. Or we're going to throw this in. <laughs> it's happened a lot. I'm serious, like a lot. And I believe that it's just the Lord working all that out. But it reminds me a little bit of this here with Abram. But Abram went in. And even though it was adverse circumstances that his wife was taken into the harem, Abram had all of this provision given to him. And then when he left, his wife came back to him. But all that provision went with him. You see what I'm saying? So there was some kind of a wealth transfer that took place there. Because God knew that Abram was having to go from place to place. He didn't know if he was going to have a good pasture land for his flocks he didn't know if they, they had to dig wells and i know that this is a foreign concept nowadays but if you don't know for sure where to dig a well you can dig several before you find water and so they were really living by faith but there was a wealth transfer and then second place israel at passover one of my favorite stories so Israel has been in Egypt now for 400 years. They were slaves to the Egyptians. The Egyptians were oppressive. They had taskmasters that would stand over them and beat them. And, and they had to serve Pharaoh. They were the ones that built all those pyramids. I'm sure today when you go to Egypt and see pyramids, I'm sure that they were Jewish people that helped build those that are still there to this day. They were helping to build all this. And they were being forced labor upon them. And God heard the cry of, of these Jewish people that were crying out to him, his people, that they were being oppressed. And so God sent Moses in there, met with Moses at the burning bush, said, I want you to go in there and deliver my people. You have to understand, to go before Pharaoh and to make these declarations that Moses did really took a lot of faith. It took a lot of boldness. Because I'm sure that Moses thought the same thing I would think the, the first thing that's going to happen is, is I'm going to tell Pharaoh what he's going to do and get up in his business. And then the second thing that's going to happen is Pharaoh's going to say off with his head, right? And I'm sure Moses thought about that. But anyway, Moses goes there and, he, and we know the story, all the plagues. But at the very end, God gave them the promise of the Passover. If you'll take the blood of a lamb and put it on the doorpost of your home and you'll roast that lamb and you'll eat that lamb and celebrate the Passover before the Lord, I'll pass over you. The death angel won't touch you and those that are with you. But throughout all of Egypt, the firstborn, I mean of every household, including animals, died that night. But here's what happened. Look at this. Psalm 105, verse 37. He brought them forth also, look at this, with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Now, you know as well as I do that living under those oppressed circumstances of probably be, being given food uh, through, you know, that the Egyptians didn't want. And also by having to work so hard out in that sun like that, you know that there was a lot of sick and feeble among them. But yet after they celebrated Passover, the Bible says there was none that were sick or feeble among them. And it's interesting because if you understand Passover and you understand the Lord's table, the communion table, you'll understand 1 Corinthians 5, 
when Paul said to keep the feast, but he said to purge out the leaven from among you. And he, he talked about a sexually immoral person needed to be removed. But he said this. He said, there are many among you that are sick and feeble, and some of you dying prematurely, not rightly discerning the body of the Lord. Do you see the connection that Paul gave? He understood Passover, and he understood the communion table and what it represented. But there was none sick or feeble among them. And when Israel left, the Bible says that the Egyptians were so ready just to see them go that they just began to give them their silver and gold and all that they needed. I believe two things. Number one, they had worked as slaves for all those years and were probably not paid right. And God's a God of justice and everything that had been stolen was restored. But also God lavished on them a wealth transfer. They had abundance. And I'm going to show you at the end, um, you know, what that means as far as building the tabernacle. So that was the second wealth transfer. The first was with Abram in Egypt. The second was with the nation of Israel. They came out. They were slaves. They probably had nothing, but they came out with the wealth of Egypt. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine just for a moment that overnight, overnight in one day, you went from being somebody that was a poor slave that had nothing to the wealth of Egypt being given to you on your way out. Now here's the third one. David, God takes this young man out in the field, anoints him. And I'm just going to read this in First Chronicles starting with uh, chapter 21 verse 1. Then David said, this is the house of the Lord God and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. So David gave orders to gather the foreigners who were in the land of Israel and set up stone cutters and to hew out stones to build the house of God. David prepared large quantities of iron to make the nails for the doors and gates and clamps. And See, God had told David, you're not going to build my house. It'll be your son Solomon that'll do it. But I want you to notice what Solomon walked into. David had already you know gave him all the wealth he could possibly need to build the house of god david prepared large quantities of iron to make the nails and the all the clamps and the bronze and the timbers and all of that and david said in verse five my son solomon is young and inexperienced in the house that is to be built for the lord shall be exceedingly magnificent famous and glorious throughout all the lands therefore now i will make preparation for it so david made ample preparations before his death then he called his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, I intended to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have um, aged great wars. You shall not build the house. Um, you shed so much blood upon the earth before me. Behold, a son will be born to you who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all of his enemies on every side. And his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel in those days. And he shall build the house for my name and shall be called my son. And I will be his father and I will establish the throne of his kingdom in Israel forever. Now you can read the rest of it if you want to. Let me skip down. Now behold, look at verse 14. Behold, with great pains I have prepared for the house of the Lord. hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, bronze, iron beyond weight. For they are in great quantity. Also timber, stone, I've prepared that you may add to them. Moreover, there are many workmen uh, with you, stonecutters and masons of stone and carpenters, all men who are skillful in every kind of work. Of the gold and the silver and the bronze, the iron, there is no limit. Arise. It's, so when Solomon came in, 
there was a wealth transfer from his father to take care of this. He didn't have to struggle. He didn't have to wonder, you know, David, my father told me to build this house. How am I supposed to do this? I don't have anything, you know. It was like it was all there. God made sure the abundance was there. And how humbling it would have been. I, I, I read one, one minister had studied this in today's um, measurements. The gold that David gave him would be worth today about $2.5 billion, with a B, billion dollars. And so he had abundance. All right. And wouldn't that be humbling? I'm sure that David thought to himself, as he was looking at that, he thought, I was just a little shepherd boy in a field that nobody would have thought anything about but yet now I'm able to give all of this to build God a house how humbling that would have been and what a testimony that was that was and so anyway I want to say I want to close with this just as Abram went to Egypt and God worked it out where there was a a transference of provision Israel whenever they left through the Passover there was a transference of provision that was going to be needed I'm going to show you here in a moment and Solomon when he came to power he didn't have to worry because there had already been a transference of wealth that was there to be able to build God a house the last day church Haggai 2.6 you do understand we've been talking about on the second day I'll revive you on the third day I'll restore you there's that three day principle you understand that there were three main structures there was the tabernacle of Moses, there was the temple of David, and then there was the church. There's been three major temples. Let me say that again. Three major dwellings of God. The tabernacle of Moses. How was that provision brought in for the tabernacle of Moses? It was supernatural transference from Egypt. Then the temple that Solomon built. How did that money get there? A wealth transfer from David. And then the church. So let me read it to you in Haggai 2.6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. Now the shaking of the heavens is connected to end time prophecy. I cannot get into that, okay? But trust me. In the sea and also the dry land, I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all nations. And I will fill this house with the glory, says the Lord of hosts. Now the Lord of hosts is one of my favorite names of God in the Bible. It's Yahweh and the, it's Zabaot. And what that means, Zaba, it'd be T-Z-A-V-A. Zaba means like an army. And what it's talking about, the Oat is just plural. What it's saying there is, is that God is the military captain of the angel armies that are sent to fight for his people. Every time you read Lord of Hosts, remember that in your mind. That God is the captain of of the angel armies that are sent to fight for his people all right verse eight the silver is mine the gold is mine now who's speaking here is talking about the lord isn't it interesting how the world has so much wealth but the bible says just common sense god's saying oh wait a second this is actually mine and it's interesting also to me that god keeps calling himself here the lord of hosts i want you to see something that God is saying when he's calling himself the Lord of hosts, what God is saying is this. He's saying, I understand that the devil is going to try to stop this. But I am the captain of the angel armies who are sent to fight for my people. And they're not going to stop my purposes because my angels will go and they will make sure that my purposes are fulfilled. 
And the Bible says in verse 9, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So I believe that in these last days, I believe everybody will agree with me. The Bible says that the gospel of the kingdom has got to be preached to the whole world and then the end will come. And Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. We know that that must happen. We also know that the end time prophecy shows us there's going to be a massive end time harvest. We know the Bible says there's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh. We know that God's heart is for the lost. And so I said all that to say that God, just as he's done with the first two structures I mentioned, the tabernacle of Moses and the temple, God is going to build a glorious church but it's not for man's glory. It's for his glory. He's going to supernaturally, as he's always done, I can prove it through the whole Bible, he's going to supernaturally provide a way for those that have sincere hearts to be able to have the provision, to be able to build a place where he will deposit his glory. And from that place, the harvest can be brought in and they can be discipled to get ministry. So having a pure heart, let me show you Exodus 36.3, and I close with this last little bit here. They received from Moses. Now Moses had told the children of Israel they came out of Egypt. Remember, all the Egyptians gave them their wealth, and they came out. They crossed the Red Sea. People that had been dirt poor just the day before. Think about it for a minute, 24 hours. I don't think anybody's really letting this sink in. How would you like for your financial status to be one way today and tomorrow? It's like all of a sudden some major thing. Well, the children of Israel, there was this, this wealth transfer that happened. So they're coming out. But see, God knew that their hearts would be the way that they end up being. Look at this. Moses said, the first scripture I read to you guys, God has said, build him a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. We need to build God a sanctuary. I'm just kind of paraphrasing what Moses said. Moses is saying to him, I've been on the mountain. God has shown me what it's supposed to look like. He's given me the dimensions. I know what I'm doing. There's a couple guys, the Spirit of God is upon them. We need materials to build the house of God. All right, so now in context, 36, starting in verse 3, they received from Moses all the contributions which the sons of Israel brought to perform the work in the construction of the sanctuary. And they still continued in him free will offerings every morning. All the skillful men who were performing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work which he was performing, and they said to Moses, The people are bringing much more than enough for the construction work which the Lord had commanded us to perform. So Moses issued a command, and a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp, saying, Let no man or woman any longer perform work for the contributions of the sanctuary. Thus the people were restrained from bringing anymore, for the material that they had was sufficient and more than enough. God's always the God of more than enough for the work to be performed. And so those are the two things. I'm telling you, I really feel this is a prophetic sermon, and I hope people take it to heart, and I hope you got that first part. Number one, let me just remind you, Jesus said, I come to bring a sword. You better be ready to go after God with all your heart, even though... Not everybody may go with you. There's people that used to be friends that are no longer in my life, but I'm going after God without them. I love them, but we've got to be willing to go after God no matter what. And not to allow anything to be an idol, any relationship, any friend, 
anything in your life that is trying to drag you away from God, that's trying to hinder your spiritual walk, and it is a hindrance, that's an idol. And it's an issue. And God is going to come, just as I said earlier, like a sword, and he will begin to, to divide, he'll begin to remove things and out of your life that need to go so that you can be fruitful. What does the Bible say? If you're bearing fruit, he'll prune you to be more fruitful. There's certain things that will be cut out, but it's so that you can be more fruitful. Secondly, the anointing will make a way. God is about to pour out his spirit in a way that we've never experienced. And even though many of you have probably thought in your mind it'll look a certain way, it's going to be greater than what you think. And it's going to be more powerful than what you realize. And this move of God is going to bring in the harvest. And it's going to be by the anointing. We say, how in the world is it going to get from A to B? The anointing will make a way. God will open it up. Jesus himself was anointed, but he never, it never was man that raised up Jesus. It was always the Father, and it was by the power of the Holy Spirit that God raised him up out of obscurity. And it's going to be the anointing. And then number two, God is going to cause supernatural provision. So be ready for that when it comes. And it's going to be able to get us where we need to be doing what we need to do. And I'm just telling you that these things are coming. And that God, there's been something, um, I believe this summer in June, there's been something that God has began like a judgment, but it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. You have to understand about the Lord that God is not necessarily up there and he's angry at everybody and he's making decisions based on that. We get that mindset sometime from the Old Testament and I understand that and I'm sure there's times God does get angry. But in this situation, what I'm talking about is justice. God is saying that my purposes are going to go forth in the earth and these people and this are standing in the way. They're in opposition. So I'm sending my angels to get everything out of the way. So my purposes are going to go forward. I believe there's been some kind of a justice, some kind of a judgment that has begun. And those that are right with God, this is a blessing. And so here's the last couple things. Notice that God stated this, that the silver and the gold are mine. Satan has stolen it through Adam, but he said it's mine. So don't worry about it. God is the God, the captain of the angel armies, who will be sent to fight on behalf of God's people. And they will open things up, and they will make sure that God's purposes are fulfilled. We know in the Bible, poverty is a curse while prosperity is a blessing. But see, the question is, are we a people that God can trust? Number one, can God trust us that we're going to go after him with all of our hearts and we're not going to have other idols and other pursuits and other things that aren't right in our lives? We're not going to have a divided heart. We're not going to have a double standard. We really are sold out, number one. Number two, are we going to be a people that's not going to compromise his anointing? I'm going to tell you that I love the anointing and I'm not ashamed of the Holy Spirit. And there's been several people down through the years that we've lost because they don't like the Holy Spirit for whatever reason. And I'm just going to serve notice that I'm not ashamed of the Holy Spirit. I love the Holy Spirit and I love how he touches people and it's going to continue tonight and it's going to continue until Jesus comes. I am not backing off of it. And so we're for the anointing. 
And I want God to be able to trust us that he can pour out his spirit and we're not going to shy back and be cowardly about it. Because like I told you earlier, that civil war, the, the, those that are against the move of God, that has always been there. So whenever persecution comes, we're not going to shy back from it. And then number three, can God trust people to use them to be a conduit of financial blessing into his kingdom? It always inspired me that Israel had been in slavery like that, and all of a sudden they were given all these finances. You know, the tendency of a lot of people would be to start, you know, burying it in their tent, <laughs> hiding it away, doing everything they could to hoard that, you know. But whenever God spoke and said, I want you to build me a sanctuary, the Bible said that it was in their heart to just keep giving and keep giving until Moses said, hey, we've got plenty, okay? But that was in the heart of the people that they wanted to see a dwelling place for God. Can God trust us? To have his heart about that. So this sermon's a little different tonight, but I felt this was the word of the Lord. There's a move of God that's coming, and I mean to tell you, it's going to be something. But when it comes, we're going to have to be ready for some major changes, which I believe have already begun this year. There's already something that is beginning, and I believe this is the year that, that we'll look back on and say 2017 was the year change began really in this direction in a lot of different ways. But God has provision and God has other things that are coming. All right, let's go ahead and shut down recordings. We will pray for people tonight that want prayer. And let me say this before we lay hands and pray for people. The anointing of the Lord is so important. This time that we have, can you go ahead and play that? whatever cd is on just turn it down for me but have the anointing is so important see the bible says in romans i believe 1 16 17 area i may not have the verse exactly right but the apostle paul said i long to be with you that i might impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong years ago i did a study in the greek about that i really broke that down I'm not a real major greek guy i'm more of a hebrew guy but as I studied that, this is what it says in the Greek. Paul said, I long to be with you that I might impart to you a spiritual gift that will take you to a place of strength. Years ago, God really touched me, and I've told this story at Brownsville. Okay, God touched me in that revival. I mean, powerful. I remember I got prayer. I was... I just remember hitting the ground and I was baptized in fire. I mean, man, it was just a, a strong anointing in my life. And in that anointing, in that move of God that God began in my life at Brownsville, God baptized me in fire. There was such an anointing. And when I came back, I was so different. Now, I want you to get what I'm about to say. All of a sudden, there became a hunger for God, a hunger for His Word, a hunger for prayer something that was deeper than anything I'd had before and it came when I got prayer and something changed to me there was something of the anointing something of a move of the spirit that had been imparted to my life that began to change my life and take me to a place of strength I had still I was very young I was young in the Lord but I was even young I was like 19 20 years old around that and I was very young in the Lord. I had only been right with God about a year. And I would come out of a lot of sin. So I still had a lot of struggles. 
But that anointing that came into me began to strengthen and change me over time. And God began to give me the victory because the Bible says the anointing will destroy the yoke of bondage. And I remember that there was a prophetic guy that I knew and he prophesied over me. And this is what he said. He said, the anointing that's on your life is mature, but you're not mature yet. He was prophesying back when I was very young. I mean, I'm guessing around 21. He said, the anointing on your life is mature, but you're not mature yet. But that anointing will mature you. See, I believe like David, there was something that had been imparted to me and to some of you here, and I'm sure to many out there that are listening to this. But when that anointing came, it changed me. And I began to have such a hunger I didn't have before. I began to have a hunger to see Book of Acts Christianity. I mean, what about where people were just, it was like a sovereign move to see people saved. I mean, we'll go out tonight and we'll witness to people and usually somebody gets saved. Praise God, but it's like a fishing pole. But yet when you read book of Acts, it's all of a sudden it's like there was groups of people where the Spirit of God came down and they were just swept in. And it was just, it was a move of the Holy Spirit. And I was hungry to see God save souls. And I was also hungry to see people heal and deliver. And God took me to this home that was like for troubled teens and, and began to speak to me to go minister there. And it was interesting because none of these people were um, real religious. You, you know what I'm saying? I hate to say it that way, but a lot of times people are in church and church kind of ruins them because it gets them so religious. And they lose the power of God. They lose that hunger and that fire. And that, that's another thing. But anyway, all these young people that were there, they weren't real religious. I mean, they came from all types of backgrounds, witchcraft and drugs and everything else. And they were every race, every ethnicity and all kinds of uh, denominational backgrounds. They were all there. And I was just there just preaching the word of God. And I would, the spirit of God came down so strong that many of them would just come down and they were weeping. They were getting right with God. But because of the anointing, I remember seeing that they were getting right with God. They were getting saved. The anointing was moving. Now, all of a sudden, they're getting healed. And testimonies of, you know, people that had physical problems disappearing. People that had mental illness that was disappearing. People that had emotional problems that were healed the broken hearts are being healed and demons manifesting we're going through praying for people next thing you know this person's up in the air hits the ground and they're manifesting the demon and you cast the demon out and it was awesome because uh, all of a sudden everybody there is seeing the book of acts happening and it was neat because the power of the holy spirit these these younger people had never been around anything like this and they thankfully they weren't taught against the Holy Spirit. There's people out there that are enemies of the Holy Spirit, and they teach people against it. And so consequently, these young people just simply, it's in the Bible. He preached on it. I'm sitting here reading it. And so they just believed it. Childlike faith. Next thing you know, they're falling out, speaking in tongues. They're healed. They're delivered. Everything you read about in the Bible. And this is what we need. We need this restoration. It's my heart to see the restoration of all things. And I believe this river of life has been a place of prayer and fasting. Isaiah 58. We are going to be a part of a restoration taking place where God is going to help restore before Jesus comes through river of life and many others too. But through river of life be a part of seeing restoration. Book of Acts Christianity restored back to the church. What I'm saying is be hungry for more. Remember those guys that came last week? 
from Teen Challenge, you know. And they they are they're on the front lines having to minister to all these people. And I loved just what I felt. You know, Gene had been how long he'd been saved? Maybe about three years he got saved, went through Teen Challenge and now he's a leader there and he's ministering all these guys but just he was over there in his hunger i remember just praying for him and he was just so humble and so hungry for more of the lord and i mean i felt the spirit of god just whew, he goes out he was out for a long time you're seeing little children different people set free so anyway what i'm saying is earnestly desire the anointing on your life because we're not going to be able to do what jesus did without the anointing it's going to be the anointing. And God has been saturating some of you guys in the anointing to get you ready for what's coming. All right, let's go ahead and get ready. Those that want prayer, we're going to pray tonight.